when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. The American people need a solid John Boehner. You could do a whole bit of like oh pimple my. kid reporter uh-huh. talking to John Boehner. Oh, Mr. Speaker, are you, who's going to be the speaker? Well, I am. I'd rather do something else. Rather be on a boat, a glass of Merlot, and a cigarette. That but is... you, these shitheads can't get it together. <laughs> I'll stick around. That's honestly really good. It is really good. Are we on? We're always. <laughs> they've, already, they've already recorded it, so they can put it at the top. Uh, yeah. Joined now by Speaker Boehner. Thank you for having me. So that happened. This week, we bombed some folks, specifically some folks at a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Kunduz, Afghanistan. President Barack Obama finally came out with an apology for this tragic bit of whoopsie-daisy, but why the hell did this have to happen in the first place? We will try to puzzle it out. Meanwhile, you've heard of the Benghazi Committee. You might be familiar with the Planned Parenthood Committee. But what if we had a congressional committee focused specifically on reducing gun violence in America? This is what California Representative Mike Thompson has proposed. He joins us today to make his case. Finally, if you've watched any televised sports in the past month, really, if you've watched any televised anything, you are probably aware of the existence of the DraftKings and the fan duels. Is the sudden ubiquity of big money fantasy sports making you question reality? Well, now government officials want to question these big money fantasy sports organizations. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Arthur Delaney, Ryan Grimm, Jessica Schulberg, and Travis Waldron. We'll have all of this, plus we're going to try to figure out who the next Speaker of the House is going to be. So here's what happened first. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of So That Happened, your favorite podcast and mine. And Very mine. well named this week. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. We're joined right now off the top. Arthur Delaney is here. Hi. And our boss and bureau chief, Ryan Grimm. Hi, is guys. Here. Hi, boss. Hey. Hey. So so last week we put out a podcast. It was all recorded. And then the next day, everything kind of went to shit in Congress. Oh, don't tell people that, man. What? what it's what, fine. Don't tell people the, about the past. About That's our what we fa- do. About our faults. It's just, it's just life, man. Lighten up. Just tell them about the, the so, crazy. So John Boehner, up and retired. We weren't. We we were like, oh, I wish he had done that a day before. Wish he had called us. He knows we're out here. Uh, but the it looked it looked like the uh, the gavel. John Boehner's gigantic gavel is going to get passed to his right-hand man, aide-de-camp Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, House Majority Leader, handsome. He had the votes. He had the votes, apparently. Only today, we now learn that McCarthy is no longer running for Speaker of the House. And that's, you mean on Thursday? On Thursday. Sorry. And that's hilarious, because just the day before Thursday, which I believe was Wednesday, Wednesday. Politico wrote 
Well, the, the the article itself was a rather straightforward accounting of the state of play in the race, uh, but it came with a headline that that was like McCarthy in in command, and it was Feeling advertised. It was advertised by their morning huddle newspaper as McCarthy hitting his stride. And I don't know, man. Like when you hit your stride, you're not supposed to be dropping out of races. Am I wrong about that? No, and he, and he, he it was his fault. I had my very own uh, listicle version of a Dewey defeats Truman. This morning, 13 <laughs> things you might as well know about Kevin McCarthy since he's apparently going to become speaker, which now has been re-headlined to 13 things you don't really need to know at all <laughs> about Kevin McCarthy because he is not going to become House Speaker. So it turned out he, he just didn't have the votes. He had the votes to win on Thursday at the election among Republicans. There was some question about whether or not he could get to 218, which you need. You don't need a plurality when you get to the House Just floor. Just to specify, you need an there, absolute was like majority. An, there was like a behind closed doors, in caucus, informal. Right, it's, this is it's the speaker private, primary. It's a, right, and it's a private, it's a secret ballot. Everybody writes down on pencil or whatever, who, you know, this is who I want. Is it Chaffetz, Daniel Webster, McCarthy? Nobody doubts that he would have won that in a landslide. The question was how many Republicans was he going to lose? And was it going to be so many that it would take him down underneath 218? Now, Democrats could have actually given him a handful of votes and put him over the top if they felt like it to just avoid the chaos. Uh, that really is, is pretty much unprecedented. Uh, you know, they had previously said that they would vote present in any fight against Boehner. So right. that, they, that means that the insurgents don't have the votes to take Boehner down because you need that, that, that you need just a, a plurality. So with the people with Democrats voting present, now they'd have to actively vote for Kevin McCarthy, uh, for speaker to get him over the top. And he decided that that's not the kind of situation that he wanted to get into because that is in America, we don't have that kind of thing happen very often. But actually around the world, that happens all, that happens all the time. It's called finding your coalition. Yeah, it's true. It's and, true. And so right now, this is a party that is not a coalition. Like they, they don't agree with each other enough to elect their the head of their parliament. And so in that situation in Europe and other places that have this parliamentary system, they reach say, out say, to other people. Okay, well, uh, the ultra-right party is not with us. So let's go to the the, the center left or the center right guys. And, hey, blue dogs, you got you got twelve rumps that can like you know put us over the top. And they say, what do we get in return? What, what do we get? Okay, you get like uh, you know Midi- a tax Midi- cuts Midi- for car dealerships in your yeah, district. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, because there are like a hundred car dealers. You're, you're now hark- Congress. You're now hearkening yeah. back to an age where there were uh, things, earmarks, things to, to give, give away. away. Yeah, yeah. But who knows what they want? But whatever they want. You know, whatever little pet thing, if it's small enough and it can be delivered, uh, then then they would get it. And then you've got Speaker McCarthy, and now you have this kind of centrist coalition of 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 you know center left, a few center left Dems, and a whole bunch of center right Republicans. That's how this would resolve itself if we had a a system that functioned like that. We don't, so they have to figure out on well, we their could, own. Could but they no, just they don't want to do it. They, they they could. They could easily. Go ahead and do that. And in fact, this could hasten a, a, a three-party system. Like it, it's possible that the Tea Party could say, "You know what? Let's just form our own party, call it the Freedom Party." They uh, already kind of have done that. They right. have a it's they just, have this thing called the Freedom Caucus. Right. Exactly. So uh, that which, caucus could just become a party. Right. Anywhere between 30, 40 members in the House. We don't know how many there are. But they yeah. all Problem said is, they would vote as a block for Daniel Webster, representative from Florida. 
uh, and yeah. Tea Party far conservative favorite. There's also Jason Chaffetz, represented from Utah, in the mix. The only problem with them forming their own party is that the way that they're able to elect so many kind of radical Republicans is that they win the primary, and then all of the Republicans support, support them in the general election. So if you had you know, a Democrat, a Republican, and a Freedom Party person, maybe the Democrat uh, actually ends, ends up squeaking by in a district. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. But yeah. At, at this time, it looks like we'll just have John Boehner for the foreseeable future. Yes, John Boehner can't <laughs> retire unless there is another speaker. It's so much. It's such a Dennis, ha- Dennis Hastert uh, is out on bail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could be temporary while he's free, and then hands on approach. Well, people just Eric joke Cantor. about that, but they, you could have a non-member be speaker. But what? That's not going to. We're not going to do Eric Cantor. Why not? Everybody wants Eric. We have. We have per, per, last week. He's Howard an Feynman and, and Lauren Weber and I wrote a piece about how anyone can be. You don't have to be a member of Congress speaker, to be speaker of the House. Speaker Ted Cruz, Mitt Romney. Could, yeah, <laughs> well. Ted Cruz, they could put him up. The real <laughs> irony here is that to get out of Congress and start retiring, John Boehner needed his caucus to do the thing. He wouldn't be itching to retire. This is just theater by Boehner showing his conference that they really can't live without Oh, him. he's playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> yes. Just, he's mated us. All chess, <laughs> though, is three-dimensional, because you've got the pieces going both uh, ways, right, and, then for, the, and then the pieces go high. Just, go so, just so you guys know, we <laughs> talked to uh, we talked to Congressman uh, Mike, uh, Thompson. Mike Thompson uh, about an unrelated matter, but we got into it with him, and, and he, uh, he actually encountered Kevin McCarthy earlier this week, and McCarthy seemed pretty confident. Let's listen. I thought he was a sure thing. Um, I, uh, matter of fact, in the gym the other morning, I, I uh, told him, I said, it looks like you've got this thing won. He said, no, you have to have the votes first. And I said, I have confidence in you. Uh, I don't know. This came out of, uh, out of nowhere. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of any of my colleagues that saw this coming. Uh, everybody's, as you say, has been assuming that uh, he was going to get it. And uh, this is uh, just one more, one more uh, twist to a... Uh, a, a sad state of affairs in, in the House. I, I don't think this is good for Congress. I don't think it's good for the country. Uh, we need to, instead of spending all of our time on inter, intra-party squabbles and, and intra-party votes, we need to be voting on things that are important to America. We have uh, keep the government open. We've got an XM uh, uh, bank problem. Uh, we need to keep that open. We need an infrastructure bill so we can build our highways and, and fix our bridges and roads. We need to be putting people back to work. We need to pass a, a, a gun violence prevention bill. And uh, those are the votes we should be taking, not uh, these intra-party squabble votes. So on, on Wednesday morning, you were spotting Kevin McCarthy on a bench press, and he was like, I'm not sure I've got the votes? He didn't say he wasn't sure he had the votes. He just was probably being uh, as modest as any of us uh, could be. But you were spotting him on a bench press. I was what? But you were spotting him on a bench press. No, we were just That's in the, the gym together. <laughs> so is, is, the, is, the real, is the real story here that uh, everything is inevitably leading to a tragic situation in which John Boehner has to unretire and stay? He may. He may have to. He's already said, as I understand it, that he was, he's not going to leave until this is uh, resolved. So, like I said, I think well, the real story there is that... Is that uh, Thompson was, you know, helping uh, McCarthy do his CrossFit. What does McCarthy bench? Not 218. (laughs) 
time well to work done. on it. Well then, we, before we move on, is he uh, going to run for majority leader? That'd be funny. That would be pretty. That would be pretty hilarious. Now, but, I mean, where would he go? Right? Someone else had a, had design on McCarthy's old job. Uh, mm-hmm. Is McCarthy going to just give that up now? Too. I mean, he might have to. I mean, this is so embarrassing. It is. Yeah, you can't. You can't imagine it. And, and reportedly, he was like really meek and pathetic at this caucus meeting where he withdrew. Our producer like, is saying what? that like, according to reports, McCarthy intends to stay on in that position. So now everyone's kind of <laughs> everything's well. constipated. It's good. Before so before we uh, before before we end, I wanted to also just briefly touch on what's been going on in the 2016 race on the Democrat side. Um, Joe Biden now has been. I, I think I think the media desperately wants a foil for Hillary Clinton, and they do not like Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders is an economic populist. Uh, and so Elizabeth Warren won't rise to the occasion. Well, she's an economic populist too, so maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But they clearly want Joe Biden to run. CNN has said, "Hey, if you want to just come and debate, you know, just you know, you don't have to be a candidate. Just want to show up and like answer a few questions, throw a few barbs. We'd love to have you." Uh, weird story this week where it came out that Joe Biden leaked his son's. Deathbed, I want you to run for president, Dad. Statement to Maureen Dowd. And I think in the aftermath of that, it's uh, Hillary Clinton's opposition people have been accused of saying that that's a thing when it's not. The hell is going on? I liked uh, the Biden's response was he wouldn't confirm or deny whether he had talked to Dowd about this. Uh, But he would say, you know, if he did, uh, it was in no way, you know, meant uh, as as a political gesture. And how could somebody misunderstand such a thing? Maureen Dowd, who's been on a crusade against the Clintons <laughs> for like for forever. thirty years or so, you know, this is who we all turn to uh, to have heart to hearts. You know, in our in our moment of despair. Hey, Maureen. <laughs> I you know, think when, I, I, when I think of her, I, I think of you know ex, the the kind of shoulder that you want to cry on, and she would never. You know, turn it around and use it in a column against no. the Clintons. No, absolutely. This not. week marked a, a turning point for the fake Joe Biden campaign. Basically, reporters are now sick of it. There was the <laughs> no, outrage that Joe Biden. Uh, no, that that shows. This shows it's a real campaign because now you've got your your cynicism. Oh sure, okay, fine. Whatever you want to, whether it's fake or real, I people got tired of Joe Biden this week in in the media and Trump. Trump you don't hear uh, much from him anymore. Oh, people yeah, well Trump's mentions have gone down across all platforms. So yeah, people are getting tired of these guys and Hillary Clinton is aggressively trying to recapture attention. Well, it's interesting you bring up Trump because uh we've got a Democratic debate coming up next week. I think the one thing that they can ill afford as a party is to show up for a debate and have the fractiousness and and discord that we've seen at the Republican debates. Trump's been the main driver of that. Is it possible to stay civil in this situation? I, I, certainly, uh, much more so than Donald Trump and, this, and those guys. Joe, it, uh, yeah, Bernie gonna, Sanders yeah. is not into that stuff. He has, it, he has, uh, I guess, laudably said that he's not in this race as a sort of dig at Hillary Clinton. Uh, and he won't attack her. Uh, I can't. She, speak. And she doesn't benefit by attacking him. No. And then there's that Baltimore mayor that everybody Martin O'Malley is show up. He, uh, I mean, he Jim, wants a Jim Webb. He, they want cabinet positions. They're not going to overly antagonize. 
I'm not true. sure. I'm not sure Jim Webb even remembers he's running for president. Like I think I had someone's been had to roust him from a deep sleep in the mountains where he's currently holed up and tell him, don't forget to show for this debate. I, mean, I got to thank you when I followed him on Twitter, and that's when I knew that this was not a serious campaign. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, don't know who, I don't know who that reflects. It probably still happens. Go follow me. Listener out there, go follow Jim Webb. And he will if, thank if he you. Thanks you. He will thank you. Thanks for what, following. like he sent you a card? No, not like an auto thing. It's like a, it's a little DM or something. Huh. He sent you a DM thanking you? It's and you just came on here and told everybody. That's an awfully Woo! precious thing for a former check. Reagan Secretary of the check. Navy to do. I just want to point that out. Excellent writer, by the way. I've been reading his uh, memoir. Tremendous Good public writer. speaker too. Good public speaker too, Jim Webb. Um, the best on any Sunday show because he speaks in paragraphs, not in bullshit sound bites. Um, <laughs> but I, it, it's going to be a weird situation when this debate happens because, of course, we know that that uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are prominent candidates with things to say to one another. Uh, but we're going to get our first taste of guys who in the Republican setting would be on an undercard debate, right? The whole, yeah. Like barely squeaking by with 1% in the polls. Uh, do you think it re- is, is it going to reflect poorly on the Democrats to have these like one percenters up there with them when they got chased I, off I don't, the stage? I don't think so because I think most people uh, don't know who any of them are. I mean, they know who Hillary Clinton is. Uh, Bernie Sanders' name ID isn't even that high. Yeah. Uh, and so when you tune into a debate, a lot of the times you're tuning in just to find out who these people are that are running, that you've heard there's a there's an election. So they won't they don't know if that's if Martin O'Malley is a one percenter or a fifteen percenter, most people. Okay, so one last question. O'Malley, Chafee, Webb, Chafee. Lessig. Lessig. Oh. I just want to say that every time I think Lincoln Chafee, my brain gives me the name Sheldon Whitehouse. I've been, no, 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 wrong Northeastern patrician type brain. What's the guy's name? What's the guy's name? And finally it gets around. I was like, oh, you mean Lincoln Chafee? Yes, yes, yes. Abraham Lincoln and the thing that happens when I've walked too far. Um, <laughs> those four guys, which one has the best chance of uh, coming into this first Democratic debate and having people say, I'll contribute to him becoming 5% in the polls. Probably Webb. Uh, and it's unfortunate because there's such a demand in the public uh, for a Harvard professor running a process campaign. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately for Larry Lessig, he's not going to have a spot on the stage. The funniest, thing, the funniest thing that Larry Lessig said about his campaign was that, well, if I get... If I get the votes of everyone who listens to TED Talks, <laughs> I will be like, you will get 15,000 votes. You will get, <laughs> at best, five figures. No one. I mean, he, he was deceived by his YouTube number. I mean, a couple million people watched his TED Talks. So he's like, hey, there's a couple million people who would vote for me. I've got a path to the nomination. And how he made that leap you... is just, uh, <laughs> our ha- professors are. It happens uh, to lots of guys. Yeah. I guess. Join us next week when I run for president based on our podcast numbers. Hey, guys. We'll get back to the program in just a second. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome all of you into my safe space here. To thank all of you for tuning into the show and helping us to create an Inside the Beltway show for Beltway Outsiders and make it a reality. 
We love hearing from you. Your feedback has been such a tremendously good, positive influence on us every week. Now, you can help other people find out about this show that you're helping to build. If you are an iTunes user, please look for our show. Subscribe if you haven't. And use iTunes' widgets to rate our show and to leave us a comment. It will help people like you find this show. And we can keep building what we've got going together. So head on out to iTunes, subscribe, rate, say hello to us and your fellow listeners. Thanks so much, guys. And now, here's something else that happened. Hey, we're back. And joining me right now is Jessica Scholberg. Hi, guys. And Jessica Scholberg, longtime listeners will know... That the, anytime you hear Jessica Scholberg's voice, it means something bad has happened in the world. We never have you on to talk about a million kids got puppies for Christmas. We should have an episode about a million puppies getting kids for Christmas. Oh, no, <laughs> puppies getting kids for Christmas. Either way, either way, that sounds good. Sign puppies getting up. kids. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, if that ever happens, you get dibs <laughs> right. on that story. Because we, puppies never, getting kids for Christmas yes. podcast reporter. Instead, we're going to talk about something that's unfortunately as far away from kids and puppies as you can get. That's we true. bumped some folks. Over the weekend, over this past weekend, mm-hmm. in Kunduz, Afghanistan, where fighting between the Taliban forces and U.S.-backed Afghan special forces has been especially thick of late. Uh, Afghan special forces operating the area requested an airstrike mm-hmm. from the United States, the end result of which was the bombing of a Doctors Without Borders, a.k.a. MSF, a.k.a. Medicine Sans Frontier uh, Hospital. Recriminations between the humanitarian group and the United States obviously Followed in the wake of the incident, they've been hot. Christopher Stokes, the general director of MSF, has called for a full, transparent, independent investigation of the bombing, which the organization has plainly called a war crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States has offered to run their own investigation, not necessarily an independent investigation, and President Obama has offered up a weak apology for the incident. Yesterday, after refusing previous requests for an apology. Right. How many requests were there for an apology? Uh, I'd say in most of their press releases, they've been, MSF has been really diligent about sending out more than daily press releases, just absolutely obliterating the U.S. position. I mean, every time the U.S. would say something like, oh, we're, we're going to launch an investigation, they would basically be like, that's nice. Your investigation's bullshit. The military is going to investigate the military. And they were saying, you know, it's, it's time for the U.S. to condemn the strike, admit to what it was, offer an apology. Um, the Obama administration was silent until yesterday, which was Wednesday. And in the readout of the so call, three which, days which passed. Is obviously, a word for word transcription of the interaction. In the readout of the call, um, they just said that you know he expressed his condolences for the loss of life. Uh, didn't make any reference to the investigation. Let's talk a little bit about what uh, Medicine Sans Frontier does. Um, they are an international humanitarian group. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, they essentially go to war zones and they treat people who have who are victims of the war, of the war, of the fighting. Um, anything special we need to know about Doctors Without Borders going forward? Well, this? specifically in Afghanistan, they've come under a bit of criticism from the U.S. in the past um, because they treat everybody. I mean, they'll treat Afghan children and they'll treat the Taliban. And Kunduz is a place where the Taliban have been trying to kind of raise their presence before completely taking over the town uh, a couple weeks ago. And this isn't actually the the first time that there's been a bit of activity there. I think it was in July, Afghan forces raided the MSF hospital in Kunduz. Uh, I don't think anybody was injured, but it was a pretty intrusive, violent raid looking for Taliban and Al-Qaeda fighters. 
um, which Ryan Grimm actually wrote up yesterday saying, you know, this kind of suggests that the U.S. and the Afghans can't really claim that they didn't know where the facility is. They can't really claim that they didn't right. know it was a hospital because the Afghan troops were physically in this hospital, you know, three months ago. Yeah, just to give you specific about that incident, what happened, which happened on July the 1st of this year, heavily armed men from, this is from Ryan Grimm's story, mm-hmm. heavily armed men from Afghan special forces entered the hospital compound, cordoned off the facility and began shooting in the air. Those armed men physically assaulted three Doctors Without Borders staff members and entered the hospital with weapons. They then proceeded to arrest three patients. Hospital staff tried their best to ensure continued medical care for those three patients. In the process, one MSF staff member was threatened at gunpoint by two of the uh, Afghan troops. After about one hour, the armed men released the three patients, left the hospital compound. Uh, from Dr. Porter's perspective, a person stops being a combatant the moment they seek or end up, seek medical attention or end up receiving medical attention. And the controversy here is that they've been treating insurgents. Does the United States have any kind of uh, on-the-record public statement uh criticizing what Doctors Without Borders does in this particular instance? No, because, I mean, you can't. International law protects hospitals and medical facilities as, you know, completely off limits. You can't, Anything can't strike a hospital even if there's a combatant in there. And if a militant was to be, say, standing on the roof of a hospital, you know, firing a weapon from the hospital, that in itself is a war crime. Um, I don't think that is really what the U.S. is claiming happened in this case. I think... In the past, um, it was in the New York Times, it was reported that there's just been some tension between the U.S. and this particular MSF facility for treating the Taliban when the U.S. is trying to rid the Taliban of this area. To the best of your knowledge, has the United States ever cautioned doctors without borders to not treat insurgents in war zones? It's not been on the record, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was been a, you know, this isn't really helpful to our cause or it would be helpful if you could give us a heads up when a Taliban soldier comes in, you know, let us arrest him on his way out. So let's get, why, why did... We bombed this hospital. Well, I'm sure the Pentagon's internal investigation will come will, up with will really conclusive that. evidence. Because it seems to me, <laughs> it seems to me like Afghan troops said, hey, we need you to sh- drop bombs right here. Right. And the United States, without any checks or safeguards, said, oh, cool. Right. Sure. And when the U.S. first announced this, I mean, its story has changed a number of times. The first story was, you know, we had to fire on the facility because our own troops were coming under fire. It was purely self-defense. A uh, later version of the story said, oh, no, we actually had no U.S. troops in harm's way, but it was the Afghans that were in harm's way. The, the Afghans asked us for help, and we're still there in this sort of supportive manner conducting airstrikes. Um, but, I mean, as several people have pointed out, if the U.S. has actually given the exact coordinates of the hospital, which MSF says they gave to the Americans within, I think, three days of the attack, um, you know, it, it shouldn't take a, a genius to deny that specific request for and, an attack. And just to point out, this attack went on over several hours' time. I think it was, time, I think it was in about time. an hour MSF was phoning in to Afghans yeah. and Americans saying, we are under fire, stop bombing us, as yeah. people are literally dying in hospital beds. I mean, it was it's inconceivable how this could have happened. Doctors Without Borders contends that this incident was an intentional decision to raise to the ground a fully functioning hospital. And they've called it a, a, a war crime. Is this a war crime? Because if when the we U.S. Do intentionally war, targeted a hospital, it would absolutely be a war crime. When we think about war crimes, you think about, you know, trenches full of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and this may have been just simply an accident. It, can you accidentally? It, I mean, the law of, so there's the law of war and there's, the law of war requires certain levels of precaution to be taken. If you can demonstrate that the U.S. did not take the necessary levels of precaution to mitigate civilian casualties, to not fire upon a hospital, 
um, essentially if they didn't do their due diligence or they ignored facts that were clearly made aware to them, that would be a war crime. Um, there's also some parts of the law of war are a little bit hazier. I mean, you have the issue of proportionality, which is sort of saying, you know, in any in any act of war, there's going to be civilian casualties. And it doesn't mean that every time you kill a civilian, you're a war criminal because it's just sort of seen as uh, impossible to prevent in all situations. Um, but, you know, the proportionality of the attack is, was your target, was the amount that you damaged your target? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Efficient to sort of justify the amount of civilian casualties, and I think in this case it would be very, very hard to make that make that claim. Uh, why won't the United States allow an independent investigation? It's probably a stupid <laughs> question to ask because it would probably make them look bad. It's, right. it's interesting because there's been some speculation about whether the ICC, the International Criminal Court, has jurisdiction here. Uh, the U.S. who you know, helped set up the International Criminal Court back in the day is not actually party to the court, so cannot be tried with war crimes because, you know, Bush. But uh, the Afghans are party to the International Criminal Court, so they do have jurisdiction. The court has jurisdiction to investigate crimes committed in Afghanistan. Um, And this sort of tension has actually come up before where does the court have the authority to investigate crimes committed by Americans in Afghanistan if Americans aren't party to the court? And this came up in the issue of the Abu Ghraib pictures um, when it came out. There was, you know, some serious, serious issues there. Um, I, I, I don't see the International Criminal Court making moves to investigate the Americans. The Americans have quite a bit of, of sway. Uh, I would just to get into the politics of this. I, I would imagine this bombing almost certainly helps the Taliban mm-hmm. politically on the gr- ground. It was public opinion. Uh, the Obama administration here at home is currently mulling whether or not they're going to retain a true presence of 5,000 right. U.S. troops in Afghanistan. How does this event color that? Because it seems to me that it rather conveniently points up the need to maintain troops in Afghanistan. I mean, it's hard to say. I think before this specific bombing, um, when the town of Kunduz was taken over by the Taliban, that was when you saw a lot of people being like, oh, crap, we're, we're already down to 10,000 troops. We're already in sort of an advise and assist role in Afghanistan rather than direct combat. And we're supposed to be pulling everybody out and have only an embassy presence in Afghanistan by the end of the year. And I think when you saw the Taliban take over this major city, it was sort of saying, like, wow, are the are the Afghans ready to, to lead themselves? And I think there's a lot of people that are really apprehensive about pulling out too soon, if you can say too soon after a 14-year-long war, um, <laughs> especially when we saw, you know, the Iraqi military, which was well-trained, funded, and equipped, just completely crumble um, in the face of ISIS. So I think there's some concern that you have the Taliban, you have ISIS, you have a generally unstable region. 
Um, I personally question how much 5,000 troops can really do practically on the ground. I think, if anything, it just sort of prolongs this perception of a foreign power occupying the country, which I don't think Afghans are really too pleased about about to begin with. And I think it's a pretty easy um, rallying cry for the Taliban to say, look, we have these foreign invaders and look, they just bombed a hospital. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're not getting much better at this. I mean, I think about how on the Chinese embassy in Belgrade mm-hmm. in the 90s, multiple Al Jazeera offices. They bombed Al Jazeera in Afghanistan and Kabul. And most famously, with the L, the um, ooh, the, the pharmaceutical uh, Al Shifa mm-hmm. pharmaceutical factory mm-hmm. in Khartoum, mm-hmm. which at the point we were told was, oh, we we're trying to get Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near. Well, with Al Jazeera and Kabul, I mean, we kind of tried to justify that. We said, you know, they were they were relaying messages that Bin Laden was sending them. You know, they were facilitating the Taliban, and they were sort of trying to make the claim that this is a legitimate target under the laws of war, and it, it wasn't. <laughs> well, uh, I guess if you're in Afghanistan, take cover, because I don't know what is going to happen next there. We're back. Yes, this we is are. Arthur Delaney with Jason Lincolns, and we're joined by Congressman Mike Thompson, a California Democrat who this week proposed a select committee to investigate gun violence. Congressman, thanks for joining. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for asking me. So tell us about this select committee and what it's going to do. Well, the idea is that we'd have a committee that was equally represented uh, by Republicans and Democrats, uh, six of each, and that uh, we would convene uh, and, uh, and, and take in information, uh, testimony, uh, research uh, uh, all of the uh, data available, and come up with a, a list of recommendations, uh, including legislative proposals, uh, where we could uh, move to address this uh, seemingly ever-increasing nonstop uh, 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 gun violence epidemic that has really uh, hit the uh, country hard. Um, now I've been working you, you on this to... issue for a long time. Uh, I've got legislation. I'm the uh, co-author of, uh, of a bill with uh, Peter King. Uh, it's a bipartisan bill that uh, would uh, expand background checks for people who buy guns. It's common sense, bipartisan. Ninety-three percent of Americans uh, support it. Can't even get a hearing. And uh, I think it's time that we, uh, we elevate this and, and make sure that the Congress, the elected leaders in this country, uh, start taking, paying attention to, uh, to this issue and start working on it. In your press release, you're riffing on the Benghazi committee. Yeah, it sounded a little like trolling. It's a sincere committee you're proposing. It's not. Uh, I wasn't ripping on them. I think it's legitimate to point out that uh, we've, you know, we've done we've done this before. You know, they've they've set up this uh, Benghazi committee, and uh, and that's after. The Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee uh, issued a bipartisan report of explaining that there was no there there. There was nothing, no need to investigate anything. It was just a tragic uh, attack that sadly took the lives of uh, some wonderful Americans. And to politicize it uh, was, I think, uh, wrong. And uh, they set up a select committee for that. They've now established a select committee uh, to go after Planned Parenthood. And uh, it seems most appropriate that something that's real, uh, the issue of gun violence, something that hits our communities, makes our children 
uh, unsafe and our communities unsafe on an ongoing basis is a legitimate reason uh, to uh, select a uh, to establish a select committee. And I think we ought to get it done. Uh, Congressman Mike Thompson, you're already chair of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force in Congress. How is this different from that? This would be a bipartisan. Uh, there would be six members from the Democratic side of the aisle and six members from the Republican uh, side of the aisle. It would be a uh, fully constituted select committee under the rules of the uh, of the House of Representatives. The way you mentioned uh, Planned Parenthood and the Benghazi Committee, it, it reminded me of what some commentators have said after this most recent mass shooting, that gun control advocates should be more like anti-abortion advocates in for example, show the grisly photos of gun violence victims. What do you think of that idea? I, I didn't see anybody, uh, any, any reports of anybody saying that. Uh, I don't think you have to show any grisly uh, photographs to know that uh, this is an epidemic. It's a health epidemic. It's a public safety epidemic. It's a huge, huge problem uh, in all of our communities. And what we're finding out, what we're seeing on a daily basis, is that uh, no community is safe from this. It doesn't matter if you're in an uh, inner city uh, area with uh, uh, with the problems that they have, or you're in a uh, quiet rural community college uh, area. Uh, no community is safe. It could happen any place, any time. And the fact that Congress has done nothing about it is, I think, uh, shameful. Let me ask you just a, a practical question because you. You mentioned background checks, and you have a bipartisan bill uh, proposed uh, to to alter the state of play so that there are more background checks. We keep guns out of the hands of people like convicted felons, like domestic abusers, the mentally ill. I wonder, your colleagues who don't support background checks, by what means do you think they achieve the goal of keeping guns out of the hands of criminals and the mentally ill? Is there something I'm missing here, some kind of magic well, mechanism that's not a background check where we get there? Yeah, I, I don't think they, they do uh, measure up to the test. The, uh, the fact is that background checks are our first line of defense against uh, people who shouldn't have guns uh, getting guns, and that you hit the nail right on the head, uh, criminals and people who are dangerously mentally ill. Uh, you can't. How, how do you know uh, if the person trying to buy a gun is either a criminal or dangerously mentally ill unless you have a, a background uh, check system uh, and you use it? Well, if there's an alternative out there, I'd love to hear about it. But moving, moving on, uh, the House approved uh, increased funding for the background check system last year. What that, was my, that was my amendment on the floor. And it was bipartisan. And where 70, did it, re, 70 Republicans voted for it. Where did it wind up? It, it's 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 the deal. It's it, it the enhanced funding uh, went through, and uh, and that helps that helps get the uh, information from the states to into the federal uh, system against which we run these background checks, uh, and that's half of the equation. Uh, it need you need to have the system set up, all the records in the system. The other half of the equation is you need to run the background checks, and what's happening now. Uh, in many states, if you buy a gun at a gun show or you buy a gun online or you buy a gun through an ad in the newspaper, uh, you circumvent that system. So you can have all the data in the world in that system, but if, uh, the, if the individual who's buying the gun, if his background isn't checked through that system, it, 
it's a huge, huge loophole. There's pretty broad public support outside of Congress for some of these ideas, but what, what kind of response do you get from outside of Congress when you introduce an advocate for legislation like, the, like these ones? Well, if the, for instance, the background check, if that were to come up for a vote, uh, it would pass. And, and I often use the example that you just used, the uh, 70 Republicans who voted for the increased funding. Uh, and I add to that uh, the anecdotal uh, data, uh, and, and that's my anecdotal data, different people who have told me, listen, I don't want to co-author the bill because it will cause me political problems, but if it comes up for a vote, I'm there. Um, let's talk about the uh, way people respond to this inside Congress. You, you want to set up a select committee that would have six members of your own party, six members of the Republican Party. Are there six Republicans sitting around who will join such a committee and put their head down and, and, and work sincerely with uh, you guys on this? Even if, even if you know, you don't all end up getting exactly what you want, you advance something. Uh, well, my impression has been is that, is that there might be people out there willing to work on it, but they're not willing to put their head up and say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sign my name on the dotted line. There are five Republicans who are co-authors of my bill. And they are so, Peter King. Uh, yes, Peter King, uh, uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, Meehan, uh, Dold, and uh, uh, Donovan. And you, record, you reckon they'd be down to join this committee? Oh, I don't know why they wouldn't. They, you know, they're on the bill. Uh, they recognize it's a problem. Um, you know, I, I've, I've worked with all of them on this. They're all very sincere about it. And we're back. We're joined now by Travis Waldron, our exciting, wonderful writer of the intersection of sports and politics. You struggled to come up with some of those adjectives. I'm sure you're like senior this or that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Do you have a title? Makes sense? Just sports reporter, I'm pretty sure. Okay, Arthur Delaney, staff writer. He's here. I use sports metaphors. <laughs> you, do, you do all the time. Um, so, uh, I, this year, if you tuned into the NFL... You've probably taken note of the sudden, startling ubiquity of these fantasy sites, DraftKings, uh, FanDuel. They're everywhere. They're laced into every commercial break. Inescapable. They're laced into ESPN's content uh, to a degree that I wouldn't have thought possible for a nominally journalistic outfit to 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 pursue this kind of uh, relationship. And now, finally... We're getting some scrutiny of these sites. Obviously, these have to do with fantasy football. This is what we all, you know, all used to do. College dorms. Some of us still do it. I didn't do it. I, I find it. I find I have no time anymore to play fantasy sports, so I don't do it. But I enjoyed it. Good. And to me, it was great because it, 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 I was no longer just interested in like the the games that were on. You know, no matter what game was on, I might have a a stake in it. So it, it, the sport became more interesting for me. I suspect that's why the NFL embraced fantasy sports so as widely as they as they have because suddenly people who'd had no rooting interest in like Colts Giants were watching that game on TV. But now I think maybe it's gotten a little crazy. Well I think that's exactly why the NFL embraced fantasy sports and I think that's exactly why they've embraced daily fantasy sports because it's it's traditional fantasy sports hyperactive. It's like now, on you, steroids. You don't have to you don't have to like draft a team and then hope that they stay healthy the entire season or you don't have to 
choose players and hope that the other guys you're playing with don't choose those players. Now you get to redo it every week. And you can choose whoever you want for as long as they fit within this salary cap that they give you. And, you know, it, it's just extra speed fantasy sports. And I think for NFL fans and, and for people who are – it's not just the NFL. It's baseball. Baseball, you can do it every day. Oh, um, oh my God. <laughs> right. NBA, every night. You can do it over and over and over again. And it's it's simple and it's it's fairly easy to do. And you just go for it. And and the leagues have embraced this because it, it does spark interest. Now, if you're you're not gonna watch Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, if right. you're you know, if you're a reasonable NFL fan, because it's Jacksonville and Tampa Bay. The two the <laughs> two ugliest have, uniforms in all right. of sports. But if you have Jameis Winston on your daily fantasy roster, then you'll watch it. You're kind of interested in what Tampa Bay is yeah, doing against Jacksonville or Blake Bortles or TJ Yeldon. I don't know why you would have any of those guys on your <laughs> roster. <laughs> You're probably not winning a lot of games. Right. That speaks them. to a better, a, a but, deeper problem. But if you do, for example, you know, then then now you're interested in this product that otherwise would be a little more difficult to sell. The ads show these, like, sad dudes at, like, the barbecue and... They've got little children, and they're just staring at their phones, and they're like, yes, I beat my buddy. They also, yeah, but they also show these dudes in, like, crazy kind of, like, World Series of Poker settings, apparently winning huge sums of money. So tell us what that's about. This seems to be a sort of subtle embrace of legalized gambling from, from the NFL. Well, they'll say that it's not gambling. Of course they'll say And the... Industry, the daily fantasy industry. I'll say I don't have a drinking <laughs> problem, and yet here and we the, are. The industry will say no. It's, it's, your, it's your drinking. It's skill based. <laughs> skill based drinking. Right? I'm really good at it. <laughs> yeah. But yes, exactly. They'll say it's a game of skill. So ridiculous. Which is protected under a carve out in a 2006 federal law. That, so it would have been illegal, because obviously it would have been illegal. So what happened is is at the rise of online poker. Yeah. Uh, Congress decided we don't want this to happen. We don't want online poker. We're going to we're going to regulate and mostly outlaw internet gambling. Right. The NFL and the sports leagues obviously didn't want fantasy sports wrapped up in that. And at the time fantasy sports were a little bit different, right? They were more traditional. They were 20, 20 bucks pool. a season office yeah. pool type things. It's almost like an NCAA tournament type right. pool. Um, Good fun. Right. So no one wants to see that kind minute, of good, clean fun brought into some kind of weird ethics, right? Exactly regulation nonsense. Yeah, who needs all that? Right. Uh, no job killing regulations for <laughs> fantasy sports. Right. So at so at the last minute they carved out fantasy sports. Daily daily fantasy came along a little bit after that and has grown tremendously since astronomically. I think I was talking to somebody yesterday. It's like three and a half billion dollars will be wagered on fantasy sports. I think was his estimation this year. That's like a quarter of the revenue of the entire NFL. Right. We're talking about leagues. We're talking about companies. DraftKings and FanDuel are both valued over a billion dollars now. They've just massively grown in just the last few years. And it's a huge business. So, yes, the leagues, you know, you look at baseball where gambling is a huge issue all the time. We we talk about Pete Rose, and baseball has traditionally had the hardest anti-gambling stance of any of the leagues. Baseball is partners with one of these companies. Right. They're investing in one of yeah. these companies. Their teams ha- are partnered, have advertising partnerships with these companies. Last night during the Yankees-Astros playoff game, 
DraftKings ad was right there above the bullpen. I believe CBS Sports has a partnership with FanDuel. Uh, it's, it's, and so does NBC. I was watching a nightly news this week, and they had to paste into their segment right. uh, Comcast and NBC <laughs> are invested in DraftKings. Right. Right, it's it's everywhere, and when you look at the when you look at the leagues, they'll say it's not gambling. But I mean, if you you know you and you can talk to different people who will tell you it's not. A lot of the legal experts, a lot of the gambling experts, will say it is. And you know, if you look at it, you're wagering money for a prize, and the house takes a cut. Yeah, I don't know. What and is I was like gambling? <laughs> now there's a backlash. Finally, there is. What's there is. that? What happened? So this week. Uh, over the weekend, a, a DraftKings employee inadvertently posted documents that showed lineup data. So basically, DraftKings, you DraftKings or FanDuel, you you pick a new lineup each week, right? Uh, but every other person who's playing in your pool can pick the same players you are. So you kind of operate on the margins of who you want to pick. You want to pick a lineup that you think is going to do well, but also maybe that everyone else isn't going to pick. The hidden value. Right. So this this lineup data is pretty valuable, theoretically. Um, because it allows you to operate. It allows you to have more knowledge. It's than, like insider trading. It's, it's, it's not insider trading per se, but it's insider knowledge, potentially. And it, there's no real evidence that this guy used that information to shape his lineups while playing on FanDuel. He was playing in a contest on FanDuel. He won $350,000. DraftKings employee playing yes. on FanDuel. Because I think they were prohibited from playing on their own site, but they, they were allowed to play on competitor sites. So he... <laughs> makes all the sense So the he wins. So he wins $350,000 on Sunday in a contest. Obviously, red flags go up. Why right. did this guy have this information? Did he use it? No, wait, don't, don't you mean yellow flags? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Red cards. Good one. <laughs> red um, cards. So well, DraftKings and FanDuel are forced kind of into response mode here. There's no evidence that he used it improperly, but it raised a lot of questions to gambling experts, legal experts, people who were playing these games that, wait, if a mid-level employee has this information, what can he do with it? Oh, as as Fox Sports would say, come on, man. There you go. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Congress had something to say about it, or are they gonna? Well, so Frank Pallone, representative from New Jersey, was already calling for hearings. It was unclear if those hearings were actually going to happen in the Energy and Commerce Committee. Now it looks like they're going to. <laughs> so he had previously, and then this scandal blew this, up, was on the nightly news, and stuff is happening. Yes, things are happening now. Yesterday alone, Pallone called for a hearing in Energy and Commerce. Uh, another representative called for a hearing in the House Judiciary Committee. Harry Reid came out and said that it's something Congress should look at. The New York Attorney General is now investigating both companies. There's a lot. This is this is on top of the fact that there was already congressional scrutiny over the gambling question. Right. Now we're asking the question of how many safeguards do they have against this information spreading around? Are people using it improperly? As one of uh, as somebody told me yesterday, there may not have been abuse in this particular instance. But it opens. It makes it clear that well, there could be now, and it's 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 not it, it's not just an open and shut case. This might not have been the problem. This one instance might not have gone wrong, but it shows that there is potential for it to and for this to be abused. I, a guy made three hundred grand after clearly having had access to special data. I, right, it seems sort of slam dunkish. It well, it's not. It's so there. It's unclear whether he had the information before the lineups locked 
But the so it goes back to the question of well, when else could he have gotten to the data, or who else is getting to the data? Can they share that data with people from other companies, with other high rolling players? And if you're if if certain players have that information and others don't, then that's a big time advantage potentially. So, Tom Tom Lee and 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 Kevin Draper at Deadspin have been reporting about uh, on DraftKings and, and this attendance scandal. They also note that. Like I said at the top, <clears throat> ESPN has has sort of like I, I don't really have a word for it. Enmeshed themselves with DraftKings mm-hmm. throughout their coverage. Totally. It's not just a sort of situation where you say the Old Spice play of the game. They have right. specific segments on DraftKings. They have a, a, a reporter. Their fantasy guru is a yeah, is named a Matthew DraftKings Barry guy. Yeah, who's paid FanDuel guy, one of the two. He's paid by uh, he's paid by DraftKings. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if you watch their fantasy segment on Sunday mornings, it's DraftKings this, DraftKings that, and it's throughout the coverage. Mm-hmm. Now, in the wake of the scandal, ESPN it, both reported on it under Outside the Lines program and responded to it very vaguely saying, well, we're going to back off. Right. They're going to, yeah, they're going to, they're going to pull off some of the like in, in segment advertisements. But they've made no guarantee that they would do it. They would pull out for a long period of time. No, no. I mean, I think like major league, this got major league baseball's attention yesterday. I think everyone that looked, the gambling question was out there and everyone was aware of it. I think, this was new. This was different. It, I, th- there's always the potential this could happen, but the fact that it did, the fact that there are now these big questions of are they safeguarding their their data? Are they protecting potential leaks that could totally influence these big money games? That's a different question, and I I think it it woke some people up. I just think it's crazy that they have so much content dedicated to these this company and, and, and so many people mentioning it and one guy who's essentially double dipping being paid presumably mm-hmm. by ESPN and presumably it's by been this a cash com- cow. company. It's been a cash cow. It's it's growing so fast that everyone is just jumping in. What chance is there that the ads will get off my TV before this season is <laughs> Yeah, over? that's probably zero. Like, you would need a I think scandal the, to, like, tank their stock. Are they publicly traded companies? No. They've been talking about IPOs, but they I don't think either of them are currently public. Oh, man. I don't you think can't they, even just turn off the football coverage and avoid them. This, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, Saturday Night Live, it's nuts. I don't think the ads are going away. Oh, man. But, I want my beer and car commercials back. <laughs> Seriously, all is forgiven beer and car commercials. Bud Light, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, it's, uh, it's, it's so confusing, and it seems to have corrupt up on us, and now it's happening all at it's once. It's happening all at once. There's a good chance, I think, that, that we'll be talking more about regulation, though. I, I, somebody told me yesterday they, they've maybe proven that they're too big now to, to self-police themselves. They've grown too fast, and their ability to self-police has not grown with it. And so I think, you know, with with congressional scrutiny, with attorneys general across the country now looking at it, and, you know, like, Vegas is interested. They're interested in. (laughs) (laughs) I love my perfect timing. I love my phone on the ESPN alert goes off. Perfect timing. Um, All right. They heard us talking about them. Yep. So that's what happened this week. 
This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Adriana Ucero and Peter James Callahan, with technical assistance from Christine Canetta and spiritual guidance from Caitlin Boguki, our guardian angel. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by California Representative Mike Thompson and Huffington Post reporters Arthur Delaney, Ryan Grimm, Jessica Schulberg, and Travis Waldron. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Please check us out in the iTunes store. And while you're there, please look for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. If you'd like to send Zach Carter a get well soon message, tweet him at Zach D. Carter, that's Z-A-C-H-D-C-A-R-T-E-R on Twitter and tell him that you feel bad that he's feeling so sick right now. As always, we thank you for listening and we miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.